Slate's Serial Spoiler Special is brought to you by Audible.com, a leading provider of spoken audio information and entertainment. Right now, get a free audiobook of your choice when you visit audible.com slash spoiler. Hi, I'm David Hagland, senior editor at Slate, and this is our spoiler special on the multi-part investigative series from This American Life, Serial. I know we told you that our last episode was our final installment, but The Intercept, a publication from First Look Media, just concluded a three-part interview with Jay Wilds, whose last name I think we can now comfortably say. And so I'm pleased to say that Katie Waldman joins me again from our studio in D.C. Hey, Katie. Hey. So it looks like we're getting the old gang back together for one more crazy look at this... uh, One more caper. (laughs) Yes. At this amazing podcast. And also... You know, a look at this case. I really think, you know, we got a lot of requests from people to to talk about these interviews because, you know, this this whole story can be so crazy making. I think what happens, what happened while people were listening to the podcast and what's happening now is people want to talk about it. They want to think it through. And this was an unexpected jolt at the end of um, what appeared to be the podcast's run. These interviews that Natasha Vargas Cooper did with Jay Wilds, I thought first we could talk about just, you know, your own visceral reaction to them. Did it? Did the they change your view of, of the case of the podcast? Did they change your view of of Jay, who we never got to hear from firsthand? Gosh, I'm a little worried about admitting this because since I said that I did not care about the Nisha call, I'm going to be pegged as like the perennially underwhelmed person on the podcast. But I just, <laughs> I this. This series of interviews didn't really change anything for me. I didn't feel like there was a thunder a thunderclap moment or a clincher. He didn't have any definitive proof that one thing as opposed to another thing happened. And it seemed to me sort of like he was trying to drop the mic and say, all right, after this, everything has changed. And furthermore, to stir up sympathy for himself and his family, which to some extent... I think he succeeded in doing. Um, But to a greater extent, I don't think he did. Um, I don't think he comes off well in these interviews at all. Um, And I guess I'd be curious to think or to know what you thought reading these over. Yeah, I mean, I I suppose my reaction was not totally different from yours. There was an interview that Natasha Vargas Cooper did with the New York Observer after the first, uh, first part ran, where she talked about getting the interview. And she mentioned that Jay's lawyer was was somehow involved, that um, the, the lawyer reached out to somebody. I was glad to see that a lawyer was involved because yeah. my, one of my first thoughts was, why is he talking to anybody? Um, mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't think it does him any good. In the third part of the interview, he gets into kind of the way that this podcast has turned his life upside down. Um, some of it seems fairly speculative. He talks about losing a job and thinking it had something to do with this. Uh, who knows? Other things are much more specific. You know, people showing up at his house. Um, I think he mentions phone calls. Uh, all of that did uh, certainly make me feel sympathetic to him. No one uh, deserves that kind of sort of vigilante snooping. Um, the people who, who are doing that uh, do not have the, the expertise or... <laughs> Or the reason to be going around his house, and and uh, insofar as he just felt the need to speak out and say, "Please stop bothering me," um, I can understand that. But of course, I, I suspect the interviews will do the opposite. Uh, 
they bring him a lot more attention. And yeah, and in the scope of human suffering that is encompassed in this podcast, like this is a guy who was an accessory to murder and got off without serving any jail time or really facing real consequences, unlike Adnan and Hay. And you know, he, I, I feel sympathy for his family. I do think that he shouldn't be persecuted or harassed. But I think that his focus on sort of the victimization that he has undergone in the wake of Serial, just it felt a little icky to me. Hmm. Well, what did you think of of the story that, that he was telling more generally? I mean, I think that we both ended uh, the podcast, you know, Serial, the 12 episodes, thinking that you know, we weren't really sure who did it. This is where I, I was anyway, and maybe I'm projecting here. But we didn't really know who did it for sure. Uh, Jay and Anand both seemed to be involved in some way. We didn't have all the facts. Did did his latest version of events, you know, this firsthand version, did it, did it change your feeling about any of that? Nope. I, <laughs> I mean, okay. So he basically presented another, I guess I'm, I'm thinking of these as like kites without strings. So he just launched another kite into this sky that's crowded with kites. And there's no, like, I, there's just no tether to the truth. Like, there's nothing to convince us that this particular kite is more valid than the kite that he launched 15 years ago. Um, he has a slightly different version of events in which he saw Hay's body not in the Best Buy parking lot, but in front of his grandmother's house. He says that he originally didn't tell the cops that because he wanted to protect his grandmother, which itself seems like a strange move. Um, I, I don't know how it would implicate his grandmother to say that he first saw Hay's body in front of her house. In any case, he just tweaks the story again. Um, it seems like another possibly true, possibly false version and, you know, add it to the pile. Yeah, I mean, I I guess I, I feel more or less the same, but I, I read an interesting take on Reddit this morning, and I, I thought I'd share with you just to... Because I've, I've seen so many different responses, some people saying, well, this just confirms my my belief that, that Adnan didn't do it, and other people saying the exact opposite. Here's someone saying the opposite. Uh, this take is that because Jay is so reckless with his story... Uh, and so careless in 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 you know bringing things up again and being willing to talk to the press clearly he didn't do it cuz why would he risk so much um why wouldn't he just keep his mouth shut uh and and they also this particular um person on reddit uh, whose whose username was drillbitpdx uh also also pointed out the the trunk popping as this key detail that that has persisted in in many of the versions although not all as as someone points out, um, there was the Patapsco State Park version that I think didn't involve a trunk pop. Uh, but he could have killed her and also popped the trunk. Sure. I mean, the idea <laughs> the idea being that basically Jay is haunted by this, yeah. that he felt uh, vulnerable, which is the reason he went along with, you know, with helping out, which has always seemed like the strangest part of his story. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but, you know, but he comes back to that theme in these interviews. He talks about, like you said, his... His his weed dealing and and his um, you know he brings up his grandmother. The only way I could understand that is if since he was dealing 
uh, partly from her house. Mm. Um, there are horror stories about uh, the police seizing the houses uh, uh, that belong to, you know. I mean, there was, uh, in The New Yorker, there was an amazing Sarah Stillman piece about, about that kind of forfeiture. So, right. I, I mean, uh, he does seem to have been vulnerable in a certain way, and I think that's where the sympathy that some people have comes from, despite the fact that he was involved uh, in some way, at the very least, in this horrible crime. I, I think we should also talk, though, Katie, about the legal side of this, because whether or not this changes your mind about Adnan's guilt or innocence, it does seem to potentially have some legal ramifications here. Jay acknowledges, and I believe the first part in the interview, that he lied about some of the details on the stand. Right. And that would seem to impugn his credibility as as a witness in a way that, you know, the the podcast sort of already did. But this is actually Jay himself saying, mouth. yeah, yeah, I mean, I will, you know, time will tell whether um, whether Adnan's lawyer is able to bring that up at all in an appeal. But but legally speaking, whether or not these interviews change anyone's view of who did it, legally speaking, they seem only potentially good for Adnan Syed. Um, I'll take your word for it. I don't know much about the the law behind it or the principles, but yeah, I mean, if this could jostle open a door that like Serial was trying to work open and couldn't quite do, that's great. Um, I I don't think that they are going to change people. Like I I feel like these interviews will sort of reinforce opinions that people already have. Like I think you've deduced from doing this podcast with me. I've given Jay a hard time for for a really long time and the interviews didn't sway me. Um, I think people who are inclined to feel sympathetic towards him may find grist for that perspective as well within these interviews. So, I mean, if there's a legal process that's already sort of mounting, maybe these will help. I, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, my understanding is that uh, you know, they may not get a chance to to bring any of this up, but you know, if if they are able to, then then it will help. I keep coming back to the the line at the end of Adnan's letter to Sarah Koenig um, from what was it episode eleven, maybe, where he says, "Now read this all over again and assume that I'm innocent, and then think about it." And I think about that because. You know the reaction to so much seems to you know seems determined by these basic conclusions that that people have made. He's he's guilty. He's innocent. If you if you are convinced that he's guilty, then your response to these interviews is so different uh, from from that of someone who who still has some doubt or even believes he's innocent. You know it's the same thing on the page, but that it just shapes one's perspective. It seems to me. Um, I, I think we should also talk about the what this says, what these interviews say, if anything, about the journalism of Serial. Uh, but before we do that, let me tell everyone about our sponsor. This episode of the Serial Spoiler Special is brought to you by Audible. Audible is the Internet's leading provider of spoken word entertainment, information, and educational programming. Content from Audible is downloaded and played back on your smartphone, portable device, your PC. Basically, if you can listen to us right now, you can listen to stuff from Audible. And Audible is offering listeners of the spoiler special a free audiobook and a free 30-day trial membership. Just go to audible.com slash spoiler. 
Download a title for free and start listening. It's that easy. I'm also going to recommend a title that you could choose. It's Blood Will Out, The True Story of a Murder, a Mystery, and a Masquerade by Walter Kern. It came out this past year, and it's about Kern's relationship to a man who called himself Clark Rockefeller, though as Kern eventually learned, that was an alias, and uh, this was a German man who actually had murdered somebody and uh, and gotten away with it for a long time. He was a con man. It's a fascinating story, and it's it's largely about the relationship between Kern, who is a journalist, and this murderer who was a con man and managed to pull the wool over many people's eyes for many years. Uh, so that's Blood Will Out by Walter Kern. You can select that or any other one when you go to audible.com. They have more than 150,000 titles. And go to audible.com slash spoiler. That's audible.com slash spoiler to get started today. All right, Katie, like I said, one of the things that I wanted us to talk about today is is whether these interviews affect how we think of serial as journalism. Because one of the big topics in these interviews, I think especially in the second part uh, and maybe the third, is is Koenig's relationship to Jay and then this uh, relationship he speculates between her and Reddit. Right. Um, he obviously found the experience that she described on the podcast going to his house extremely intrusive, right. uh, which, which she acknowledged, but we get more details now. And we also get an email that, that she sent to him afterwards. And I wondered whether any of that affected how you thought about this podcast and, and how... Sarah Koenig and the other producers had conducted the reporting of it. Yeah, that's such an interesting question because she does, or I'm sorry, Jay supplies excerpts from their email correspondence and we sort of get Sarah Koenig's voice back, you know, that sort of uh, very conscientious, diligent, warm, questioning voice. Um, And we don't actually get uh, what Jay wrote to her, but he does seem upset and and um, as though his life has been intruded upon. And that was interesting to see. I guess I want to flip it back to you and ask you, I mean, he says flat out, I think Sarah Koenig demonized me with this podcast. And based on the available evidence, I wasn't sure what to make of that claim. Like I could see the evidence for and against. I, I think I ultimately think that she did right by him. Uh, she was fair. But what do you think? Well, I, I mostly agree, but I, I think there's almost no way to present this story in a way that, that raises doubts about Adnan's guilt without raising these serious questions about Jay. So the podcast did that. I think she did it in a conscientious way, and I think you know she made an effort to to fill in our picture of him and to present him as a as a real and complicated person. But but ultimately, if you listen to the podcast, you're probably you know there's the serial killer theory and so on. But most people are going to listen and think, you know, either Adnan did it or this guy Jay did it, and and that is that is an you know serious weight to bear. I don't blame him at all for being upset and frustrated. The other thing that comes out of this is that, you know, journalism is, is messy and, and it can be ugly. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I recommended that people who haven't read The Journalist and the Murderer by Janet Malcolm, and this is exactly why, because Malcolm's point is, is, is that all journalism uh, has to wrestle with these issues. And, she, you know, Koenig acknowledged that when she went to his house, it was, it was basically a dick move. But yeah. she had decided to tell the story, and she really wanted to get him to talk, and so that was, you know, that was she decided her best, you know, course of action. 
you know, there's there's no way around the fact that that is uh, an uncomfortable, in, you know, intrusive thing to do to someone. And so the only way that you can justify it is to say this is a story worth telling. Mm-hmm. And she obviously had decided that it was, and so this was necessary. Uh, but, you know, it's, of course, going to be an unpleasant experience for the person on the other side of that. Sure. And something that struck me, too, was just the idea of trust. Like, she, he said to her at one point, um, I suspect you of leaking my personal information to Reddit. Um, and she replied and said, that's absolutely not true. No one um, involved with This American Life or Serial has done that. He said, I don't believe you. She wrote back again. That um, correspondence was excerpted. And then um, Jay tells uh, the interviewer at The Intercept, um, Vargas Cooper, I still don't believe her. And I wasn't sure what to make of that. After all the back and forth, he still doesn't trust that Sarah is trying to be objective. And to me, it sort of resonated with like the intense apprehension and vulnerability that he shows towards law enforcement earlier on. Like he is really terrified to tell the truth, according to him, to the police, because he fears that he's not going to get a fair shake. He's got this petty drug history. Um, And to some extent, like based on what's in the news, like it's it's very plausible. Like maybe he has reason not to trust um, these various figures. And the idea of does Jay have reason not to trust all these people that I just assumed that he should trust because they say trust me? Right. Um, well, yeah, I mean, there's no reason to tell this story, the story that Sarah Koenig told, unless you think it's plausible that Adnan didn't do it, right? Otherwise, why bother? Uh, and so in, in Jay's mind, it makes sense to me that he would see this person as having an agenda, uh, and and if you take him at his word that he knows that Adnan did it, you know, that I can understand completely why he would feel distrustful and defensive. I did think that another thing that came through in these interviews is something that, that in my experience, is very common, which is um, a not entirely full understanding of how much of one's personal information is available on the Internet. You know, the idea that, that she had to leak anything... To Reddit, I, that stuff is out there. Um, you know, if you're a lawyer or, and subscribe to Westlaw, you can you can get documents uh, pertaining to the case. You can figure out who all the people are. You can see what many of them said. Uh, you, you don't, and you know, criminal records are, are are freely available for the state of Maryland online. You don't need uh, someone with you know special access to things to be feeding information to people. Um, I think that. That level of distrust seemed seemed rooted at least partly in a, you know a not full understanding of that stuff. But the more general uh, posture makes sense to me as someone who sees this person as presumably having an agenda. And I have seen that critique from from some listeners as well. People who say that you know basically Koenig was was taken in by this by this guy, meaning Adnan, mm-hmm. who she right. found very sympathetic. Um, so so that part I understand. So can I ask you, actually, speaking of the sympathy factor or not of Adnan, how you thought Jay related to Adnan? Because I just thought that every time he came up in these interviews, Jay spoke of him in really bizarre language. I just want to get your take on that. Yeah, you mentioned this in in one of your, your posts for Slate about these interviews, that there's this, 
it, it almost comes off as competitiveness. Um, that makes sense to me, given that, I, I mean, these guys, as soon as uh, this murder happened, at least as soon as the, the trial uh, got underway and, and, and Jay had, had uh, fingered Adnan for the murder, I mean, they did become rivals in a sense, whether or not they were before. And there's clearly a lot of anger on both sides as how could there not be. Um, I did think it was striking that that Jay's account of their relationship was actually quite similar to Adnan's. You know, they both say that they didn't know each other that well. Right. And I still find that hard to believe. Uh, you know, maybe it's maybe it's true, but it just seems it's one of this real you know real mysteries at the heart of this case that these two guys who claim not to have known each other all that well uh, commit this horrible crime that that doesn't make a lot of sense. But then that's where the perhaps irrational, perhaps sadly rational fear of law enforcement comes in. Like maybe Jay just thought, oh my gosh, with my past, my drugs, uh, racist institution, I don't know. Right. Um, I'm screwed. Um, and that's what comes across in the interviews, I think. Yeah. And that, and that part has been consistent, uh, you know, that part of his story. Also, he talks a lot uh, more than I think we really heard on, on Serial itself about the dynamic at the school and the, 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 what happened when the magnet school part came into Woodlawn High School and, yeah, and how keenly he felt the, dis, you know, the distinction between you know, his place in the school and Adnan's. Uh, I also thought it was striking when he talked about Adnan as someone who wasn't used to losing. Yes. I mean, that was some of that weird language. Like he when he you know, he says uh, he's pompous, he's uptight. But then he said, you know, I think if I had to speculate about Adnan's motives, I would say he he was a loser and a failure. He lost and he failed and he couldn't take it. And those are just such um, extreme sort of petty, angry words like he's a loser and a failure. Um, (laughs) Maybe, maybe. But I see that's interesting. I took it more as, oh, this is a plausible psychological reading of the situation. I mean, I thought I I actually found it uh, fairly astute, potentially. I mean, not knowing for sure whether he's full of it or not. uh, You know, he was he was providing a, a kind of psychological picture of how someone could do something like this. Although speaking of which, one thing we haven't we haven't touched on, but I th- also thought was crucial, is the whole question of premeditation, ah. which he he frames in a slightly different way. He now basically says that Adnan had had hinted that maybe he would kill her, but never. I mean, that he didn't. He, he doesn't present it as Adnan said I was going to do it, and then he went and did it. He says, right. oh, he, he sort of talked about this, and then and then suddenly he had done it, and. I got the sense that at trial, uh, Jay was pushed to present that in a different yeah. way, to present yeah, it as, as more he told, yeah, exactly. Um, and and that's another. I don't. I don't. That seems to me that potentially have no legal bearing in an appeal. But he really backed off. I thought, a, you know, the stronger claim for premeditation. Well, which is also interesting because the interviewer asked, you know, is there anything you regret? And he sort of had this gauzy answer about, oh, if I had listened harder, if I had known. Um, But it does seem to absolve him of more responsibility. Sorry, me being hard on Jay again to say, oh, there, there was no real indication that he would go through with this. He was just, you know, blowing off steam. 
Right. Well, Katie, we should probably wrap this up. Uh, but I did want to highlight before we leave one of the details that comes up in these emails that we've mentioned, the uh, emails written by Sarah Koenig to, to Jay, which he then shared with The Intercept. In one of them, which is actually dated Christmas Eve, so this was after the full run uh, of Serial, when Jay, as people may be aware, he actually posted on Facebook saying that he would do one interview with somebody. And, you know, that... Yeah, and we all emailed him. <laughs> well, you know, I, there was a discussion at Slate, and just to highlight again how much uh, of one's personal information is available on the internet is, was not that hard yeah. to, f- to figure out how one could probably get in touch with him. In this email from Christmas Eve, uh, Sarah Koenig says that she is open to doing another episode uh, in, in this case so that he could tell his story about what happened uh, to Hay and, and what happened to him. Uh, it, it, it raises this possibility that they will revisit the story uh, if not in that form, maybe after the appeal. Uh, what do you think about that? Is the is the first season of Serial really over, Katie? Serial is never over. I mean, those those emails were so Sarah Koenig-y, like so thorough and open-ended and who knows. Um, I think it's fascinating and true to form that they would they would change the structure as new information presents itself as a possibility. I would love it. <laughs> yeah, I, I would too. I mean, I, I'm sure there are people out there who are tired of the hype around the show and, and think it should all go away. Um, but ultimately, you know, as we have reiterated many times, this is a real life situation. It is ongoing. There is an, an appeal that they're, that they're trying to get heard. And I am curious where it goes. I'm interested in in this real-life situation, which whether or not um, Sarah Koenig and her producers revisit, um, you know, it's not over. Uh, so I'll still be thinking about it. And I hope, Katie, that you'll keep talking to me about it. I would love that anytime. Well, thanks again, Katie. Uh, I also want to thank our producer, Joel Meyer, and Andy Bowers, who is the executive producer of All Slate Podcasts, for Katie Waldman I'm David Hagland. Thanks for listening. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Jumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Jumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.